I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, war in the Middle East. New developments in the fighting between Israel and Hamas. Standing strong. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy weighs in on the Middle East and possible terror threats here in the United States. A holy assembly. A report from the Vatican as the Synod on Synodality finishes its first week. And humble holiness. The Holy Father honors a saint whose life reveals the grace of God. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Well, thank you for being with us. We are watching two big stories tonight, the war between Israel and Hamas in the Middle East and the latest developments in the race to find a new Speaker of the House. Republicans now have a nominee for Speaker. Congressman Steve Scalise of Louisiana, the current majority leader, beat out Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan 113 to 99. Congressman Scalise says the first order of business will be to get aid to Israel. Uh, we need to make sure we're sending a message to people all throughout the world that the House is open and doing the people's business, uh, making sure that we're unequivocally standing uh, in our first resolution uh, that uh, we pass under Speaker Steve Scalise will be to make it clear that we stand with Israel. GOP lawmakers still need to figure out how to get more members on board before putting the nomination to the full House for a vote. Congressman Jordan has already said that he will nominate Scalise to be Speaker. Democrats have said their entire caucus will vote for Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. And for more on this, let's bring in Congressman Mike Lawler of New York and member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Representative Lawler, so good to be with you today. Uh, first off, your thoughts on the nomination of Congressman Steve Scalise and did you cast a vote for him? Uh, I did not uh, support him in uh, conference. Uh, obviously, uh, I like Steve. I've known him a long time. Uh, I think he's done a good job on behalf of our conference as majority leader. Uh, but, you know, I think the question is uh, getting to 217. Uh, and one of the things that I really pushed for uh, earlier today was to have uh, a, a rule change to require 217 before going to the floor, because I think it's important uh, that all of the differences be hashed out and that we have a plan forward. We have to govern, and we have to govern as a Republican majority in the House. The American people elected us to serve as a check and balance on the Biden administration uh, and hold them accountable on spending, on the border, uh, on uh, international crises, and make sure that we're doing their work. And so obviously, you know, I think the, the question is, uh, you know, does he have 217? And at the moment, I don't believe he does. Yeah. And, and the question, you know, with the House uh, seemingly in such a disarray, uh, what kind of message do you think that it sends in particular to the American people? Look, I think it uh, it obviously uh, is cause for concern for a lot of Americans, given the challenges that we're facing. Uh, but you know, I was elected in a, in a district Joe Biden won by 10 points uh, because of the issues, uh, because of the issue of spending and affordability, because of the crisis at our southern border, because of crime, because of foreign policy uh, blunders uh, by this administration. And so uh, we have a lot of work to do. We need to settle on a speaker and we need to get back to work. Uh, but this is also why I opposed removing Kevin McCarthy in the first place. Uh, you know, it just it, it created unnecessary angst and uncertainty uh, within the United States government. It created a constitutional crisis. 
You had eight Republicans team up with 208 Democrats uh, to remove a duly elected speaker without merit. Uh, and so obviously we need to we need to find a way forward. We need to come together and we need to get back to work. Yeah. And, and, you know, how critical is it? I mean, especially now with what we see playing out in the Middle East with the war in Israel uh, to get that new speaker voted in. Well, it's important. Obviously, uh, Israel is one of our closest allies uh, in the world. We need to make sure that they have all the resources financially, uh, militarily, to make sure that they can defend themselves and, and eliminate Hamas. Uh, and so, you know, obviously, we want to we want to get back to work expeditiously so that we can improve any supplemental aid uh, that is needed in the immediate. Obviously, the administration has the ability. Uh, to get them uh, what they need. But uh, we, we need to get back to work. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I want to bring this up. I know that your district in New York is considered one of the most Jewish districts in the country. What are you hearing from your constituents about the war between Israel and Hamas? And what do they want to see the U.S. do? Well, I think obviously there's a lot of anger and, and frustration uh, and concern. Uh, I have hundreds of residents that are still in Israel uh, many were there on holiday, and so uh, we want to get them home as expeditiously as possible. There's been a major challenge to that because uh, commercial airlines are, uh, from the United States are not operating uh, in Israel right now as a result of the war. So I've been calling on the administration to get military planes in to help evacuate our uh, residents uh, and citizens. Uh, and, and make sure that they get home safely. So a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a, a lot of concern. Uh, we have a lot of work to do to support Israel and make sure they have the resources needed to win this war and eliminate Hamas. Yeah, uh, not a whole lot of time left, but I want to ask you about this. Um, there have been a number of pro-Palestinian student groups uh, conducting rallies at universities all across the country, um, also in New York University, in your state, and at Harvard, where uh, a group of students signed a statement saying they, quote, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for the unfolding violence. I want to get your reaction to that and also what this all signals. Look, I think it's disgusting. Uh, we have had a rapid rise in anti-Semitism uh, on college campuses in particular. Uh, you know, you go back to the CUNY Law School graduation speech earlier this year, uh, and now obviously all these statements coming out of, you know, Ivy League institutions. Uh, and I think the uh, institutions have a responsibility to crack down on it. This is not a free speech issue. Um, and, you know, to me, I put a bill in earlier this year, Stop Anti-Semitism on College Campuses uh, Act. It, we should pass it. It would strip federal funds from any institution that promotes anti-Semitism, including uh, student aid, um, you know, federal funds that are used for student aid. There needs to be accountability. These institutions have to crack down on it. People have a right to free speech. They have a right to say what they want, but the taxpayers don't have to pay for it. And I think that's a critical distinction that we need to, to make. Well, Congressman Eller, thank you so much for your time today and waiting. We appreciate it. Thank you. And staying on Capitol Hill, an exclusive interview tonight with the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales sat down with him to talk about the war in the Middle East and the future of the Republican Party. Good evening. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy continues to say that we need to stand shoulder to shoulder with Israel, bring all American hostages home, and destroy Hamas, period. His concern, he told me, is that Hamas could be a threat to America due to President Biden's open border policy. 
we've caught a number of people on the FBI terrorist watch list. You know, in 2019, we caught no one. So far this year, 151. Think of all the people we haven't caught. Think of all the people that have gotten through with no uh, knowledge. And um, you can't have a wide border open like that and think something's not going to happen. McCarthy tells me the Biden administration has made Iran richer and stronger, partly by no longer enforcing sanctions on oil production. So they've gone from producing 400,000 barrels a day to 3 million. And with Biden attacking oil production in America, the price of oil has gone up to $100 a barrel. So they're making billions upon billions of dollars. And under the Biden administration, their number one priority is climate change. They're more worried about the weather than about terrorism. As for the next speaker, even though McCarthy has broad support, he has told colleagues he doesn't want to be nominated again. But then again, you're still willing to leave. And you are going to be Look, a leader. It doesn't matter if I have the title or not. I'm still willing to lead and make sure we do what is right. As soon as the speaker is chosen, Congress plans to quickly pass an aid package to Israel. Some lawmakers favor adding border security and more Ukraine aid to the measure, an idea McCarthy opposes. I don't know why you have to combine them all, why they can't be individual votes and let people stand where they are about each issue. Um, I think people get too hung up thinking they have to package something. Just make, just make the package correct by itself, and I, it will be able to pass. McCarthy tells me under his leadership, a large portion of the GOP's commitment to America passed the House, a stronger border security bill, an energy independence measure, a parent's bill of rights, and holding government accountable. It's still not done yet, correct? No, it's not done yet. The job is not finished. We got the Senate to do a lot of work, but we'll get it done. The former speaker tells me that he does not plan to leave Congress and he does plan to run for re-election come November. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. And if you'd like to see Eric's entire one-on-one interview with the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, check out EWTN's social media pages. Returning to our other top story tonight, the war between Israel and Hamas. The situation on the border is tense. The Israeli military says hundreds of thousands of troops are near Gaza ready for an offensive against Hamas militants. That could happen soon. Now that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and a leading opposition figure have agreed to form a temporary emergency government and a war cabinet. Meanwhile, in Gaza, the airstrikes are relentless. Some streets are almost unrecognizable. Gaza's only power station has run out of fuel. Israel has cut off all electricity and water and goods to Gaza. Before President Joe Biden delivered a speech today on junk fees, he offered an update on Israel, saying the U.S. continues to monitor the situation very closely. The president also said he spoke again today with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Biden renewed his commitment to Israeli security. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. Tonight, President Joe Biden describes the U.S. bond with the Jewish people as unshakable, adding that the U.S. has Israel's back. Now, the Hamas attacks have killed over a thousand Israelis and at least 22 Americans. Americans are also being held hostage. And right now, there is plenty of uncertainty. As the war between Israel and Hamas continues to unfold and escalate, President Joe Biden tells reporters in the Rose Garden, This attack has brought to the surface the painful memories and scars left by a millennia of anti-Semitism and genocide against the Jewish people. And this moment, we have to be crystal clear. There is no justification for terrorism. 
U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller says they're receiving new information every hour on missing Americans and hostages. When we say that the safety and security of Americans overseas is our first priority, that means American citizens anywhere, whether they be in Israel, whether they be in Gaza, whether they be anywhere in the world. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is traveling to Israel and Jordan to meet with allies, and the U.S. is sending Israel more ammunition to defend itself. An American aircraft carrier also arriving in the Mediterranean to deter other countries from joining the fight. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says U.S. Special Forces will help with planning and intelligence. The United States stands firmly with Israel as, as it defends itself and its citizens from this vile Hamas terrorist assault. And right alongside Austin, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who called for support for victims of terror attacks. Meanwhile, Vice President Kamala Harris continuing her pro-abortion college tour in South Carolina, also weighing in on the war between Israel and Hamas. We are looking at extreme acts of terrorism that must be condemned in no uncertain terms. Also tonight, just outside the West Wing earlier today, I asked National Security Council spokesman John Kirby about a plea that Pope Francis made earlier today. Take a listen. What's your reaction to that? Pope Francis calling on Hamas to release those hostages. We, What's your reaction? We share the Pope's concern over these hostages, and we have called for the immediate release as well. Do you uh, think the Vatican can help secure their release? Uh, that would be up for the Vatican to decide and to speak to. That's not something that I would do. I would never venture to speak for the Pope or the Vatican. Uh, but we share the Vatican's concerns over the fate of these hostages. And as I said, we too call on Hamas to immediately release them, all of them. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Now, John Kirby says the administration is also aware of safety concerns in the U.S. Jewish community, and they're working to disrupt threats before they happen. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including our continuing coverage of the war in the Middle East, with insight into whether a peaceful resolution can be reached into this deadly conflict. And Pope Francis explains how a Sunni saint overcame hardships through the grace of God. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza says, quote, never have we seen things like this. The Argentine priest says that he is stuck in Bethlehem and unable to return to his parish. He added that to his knowledge, all of the men and women religious in the Holy Land are okay. For more analysis on the situation in Gaza, we go to Moen O'Day, international human rights lawyer and a Ph.D. candidate at George Mason University. Moen, good to be with you today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, first off, as we know, uh, Hamas is an Islamist militant movement which was deemed a terrorist organization by the U.S. State Department back in 1997. It is now one of the Palestinian territories to major political parties. Um, that said, what more can you tell us about this terror group and the distinction between them and the Palestinian people, civilians living in Gaza? Well, let's keep in mind that uh, many Palestinians does not agree with do not agree with Hamas. Uh, at the same time, many do agree with Hamas. I'm not here defending anybody. I know that what happened was horrible. Uh, it's 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 terrible, really, uh, what's happening to the innocent people in both sides. But what I'm saying is that uh, 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 Hamas is part of the Palestinian people. It's not uh, the, a majority at all. It is not. Uh, but uh, the other side, they are not other path. It was like Hamas is playing it as the 
the residents, the, the resistance, sorry, and that uh, uh, this was the only path that uh, many Palestinians see, uh, seeing as the only path now to do is to fight against Israel. Um, okay. Um, Hamas carried out this first attack on Israel, its first attack on Israel back in 1989, and the deadly fighting has been going on for the last 30 years. Um, however, we have seen nothing like this shocking and horrific attack that we saw on Saturday and continues. Uh, a curious why now and what exactly do they want? I mean, many have said, including those that we have talked to on this program, that they want to destroy the Jewish state. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, why now? I think it will be months or years until we will understand why now, because maybe they felt that, uh, for sure, because they felt they are ready to do this. Maybe they want uh, a lot of attention now, maybe because that the, the circumstances inside uh, Israel as a result of the uh, Israeli split, internal split, uh, show them that there was uh, an opportunity to do this. Uh, uh, but why now? Again, I don't think anybody can really answer this question, at least uh, now. Unfortunately, this is uh, like uh, this. This uh, slogan is 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 is, uh, is accepted somehow by Hamas, and it's getting some attention, a lot of attention from uh, the wall. So they use it uh, as as to get more and more attention. Okay, we're gonna leave it right there, Milan. Thank you so much for your time, dude. We appreciate it. Thank you. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, Synod on Synodality, a review of the first week of the Global Gathering, plus a special Eucharistic procession in New York City. On Synodality, a global gathering at the Vatican enters its second week. Participants have been busy with two daily sessions. They receive a break tomorrow to tour the catacombs of Rome. EWTN Vatican News correspondent Colin Flynn takes us inside those meetings and some of the work being done. The Synod on Synodality entered its second week with a new theme for the participants to discuss, a common communion that radiates. St. Bonaventure, the great Franciscan theologian, wrote beautifully about how creation's plurality allows all the different colours of the divine light to shine through. The divine light is perceived in a communion that radiates through a glorious diversity. Public speeches made every morning by various members of the Synod are a way to set the tone for the day, but it's also an opportunity for parts of the global church to be heard here at the Vatican. We Christians of all traditions and denominations make up only 6.53% of the total Asian population and are really a little flock to which, however, the Father is pleased to give his kingdom. In a pluralistic Asian society, the church seeks to continue spreading the gospel message despite the challenges. Some participants use it as a moment to try to inspire, persuade and influence the members of the Synod. So many people feel excluded or marginalized in our church because we slapped labels on them. Divorced and remarried, gay, polygamous, refugees, Africans, Jesuits. For Catholics online following the Synod around the world, comments like these have evoked a strong and mixed reaction. Some praised an understanding of human nature, 
Others were left baffled and confused by his comments. That sentiment isn't just online. It seems it has also been expressed inside the walls of Paul VI Hall. We meditate and we exchange ideas. Of course, there is, uh, there is uh, two sides of the same, uh, of every reality, you know. So there is excitement and at the same time there is uh, tensions. But we are waiting for the end. There is a Delhi press conference where today lay participant Grace Rakia from Papua New Guinea was one of the main speakers. For many years we have been listening and now we'd like to speak and we'd like you to listen too that we have something to give to the world. The participants are generally forbidden from talking publicly about the specific details of what's been discussed in the meetings but are permitted to talk in more general terms. At the moment, we have a really uh, good atmosphere where uh, everyone is enthusiastic about uh, 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 to hear from one another. And even whatever, whatever, even critique or whatever, we are here at the brothers and the sisters uh, as we have gathered for the same aim and the goal. It's a very good uh, spiritual experience because we are listening each other. So it's very good for that, and we pray together. And uh, in listening each people around the table, uh, it's easier to understand the other people, you know, and it makes the Holy Spirit to fill our meeting. And with the Holy Spirit, uh, we hope to discern and to look for the best thing for the church. An interesting note is that the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, the Vatican's safeguarding body, called on the Synod to make sexual abuse an explicit part of the discussion and accountability in the Church. At the Synod on Synodality in Rome, Colm Flynn for EWTN News Nightly. Well, things are very busy at the Vatican. Still, the Holy Father found time to take a break and have lunch with a disadvantaged people. Pope Francis asked them the same question he asked Synod participants. What do you expect from the church? Their answer, they expect love. Pope Francis says that a saint from Sudan is an example of how to be free of slavery and fear. And his weekly talk to pilgrims, the Holy Father says St. Josephine Bakita remains relevant because of her ability to overcome resentment. Enslaved from the age of seven, St. Bakita found hope in her small crucifix, saying that she kept it as a treasure. The Holy Father adds her life is a testament to resolving conflicts and transforming lives. Well, finally tonight, rush hour traffic in midtown Manhattan was a little slower than usual yesterday evening, all because of the Holy Eucharist. After a mass inside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, the Napa Institute held its Eucharistic procession. The event was complete with a police escort and went through Times Square. Several thousand people took part, and one attendee said people viewing the Eucharist as it went past were moved to tears. Dad, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night, and God bless.